The Start. On Demand. On Demand. Adele recently posted some pictures which showed that she had lost some weight. That was celebrated by a whole bunch of people, the fact that she lost some weight. But then a whole bunch of other people said, hold on a second, this is fat phobia. So we're going to speak with Shauna Shemnowski, who is a fitness coach. She's a personal trainer. She owns Organic Tan on Provence. And she is behind the Winnipeg chapter of the Everybody Campaign, which encourages women of all shapes and sizes to love themselves, to celebrate themselves, and love their bodies. If you're looking for stuff to do with your kids over what's left of the holidays, Barrett Miller from Fort White Alive to the rescue. And if you're looking for stuff to do on New Year's and looking to figure out how to get around, Jordan Earl from 441 Main to the rescue. And we have a group of musicians in studio playing recorders. I'm Brett McGarry alongside Loren McNabb. Greg Mackling's back on Monday. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Friday, December 27th podcast, for the start. <laughs> McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is off today. Good morning, Loren. Good morning. You are sporting a nice new Winnipeg Blue Bomber hoodie. Yeah, my brother, who actually doesn't even live in Manitoba anymore, is a huge Winnipeg Blue Bombers fan. Yeah. Was at the Grey Cup, and uh, he came for Christmas, and so I got this new... Uh, Blue Bomber sweater. I actually don't own enough Blue Bomber swag. It was his concern, and so here I am. Nice. Plus, it's super comfy. Yeah, they've got some really great hoodies. I actually went out to uh, buy a hoodie for my dad, and I found this really nice uh, black one Mm -hmm. that's got sort of silver trim on the sides, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to buy one for myself, Myself, too. Yeah. Well, you had a new hat, too, it looks like. Oh, this one I've had for... I bought this just before the banjo bowl. Oh, it's hard to keep track of your hats. I The the hat thing is a serious addiction. I, I need to count them up. I think I've probably got like at least 15 hats that are all locally themed, whether it's bombers. I just recently bought a Winnipeg Jets hat from local apparel brand Vogue. I have, I recently bought two more hats from the Peg. Uh, I've got that Middle Province hat. I'm wearing a Middle Province t-shirt today from mm-hmm. North Flag. It's, it's out of control. Always the 204. Yeah, well, you know what? We've got so many great local businesses making really nice things, and uh, but the bo- I love this bomber hat that I'm wearing today. So, But you had a good Christmas? I had a great Christmas, yeah. It's, I, I, I was trying not to have that kind of depressed feeling this morning, not just because I'm coming back to work. Yeah. That's not what I mean, but... You know, I was furious, George, this morning when my alarm because, went off. Just, just because you didn't want to get up. I forgot why. Like, why is my alarm going? Oh. And you only had two days off. See, I had the last, like, six, right? So the I can appreciate. I can't understand why you were confused is basically what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I had a great Christmas. I'm trying to get past the idea that, you know, you have all this anticipation and you're looking forward to family coming. And now my family's gone home. And you're. it's like you try not to get into that. Like, well, what's next? Like, what's what exciting things are happening next? Like, just mm-hmm. try to enjoy the fact that. I was lucky and fortunate enough to have family with me and friends over the holidays and great food and nice presents and the kids were great. So, yes, great Christmas. Yeah, you? it was. It actually was really good. And, and Greg and I were, were talking uh, before Christmas that I, I haven't been feeling festive at all this year. Uh, not to not again, not to reiterate the whole what was me thing, but I was just kind of like that with my mom gone, I just felt myself going through the motions. Mm-hmm. And I thank yeah, listeners who shared the same kind of sentiment. A lot of people are saying the same thing that, you know, they recently lost a loved one and and uh, Christmas just didn't feel the same. But it actually turned out to be really great. It was relaxing. My sister made dinner and she made this amazing dessert, which I think she called it chocolate lasagna. So it was like the bottom layer was 
crushed Oreo cookies, mm-hmm. and then there was chocolate pudding, and then whipped cream, and then chocolate chips. Oh, yum. Yeah, it was amazing. So I had that for breakfast Christmas morning. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I had pierogies and this pierogi sauce that we always make. It's like mushroom soup and sour cream and bacon. Oh, And it's God. just wrong, and it's so good. It's so good in the it's morning. It's wrong. It's so good. Really? It's just pure salt. I like that. Sounds and great. And if you've said, you know, maybe Christmas Day had a bit too much mm-hmm. to drink, it's, it's a good... Uh, Mm. It's like it's a good hangover cure. Good hangover cure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, very good. So you uh, you you indulged then. You imbibed. I indulged in everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about... Not too much. It felt like too much by the end of yesterday. Like I, Another reason why it's nice to get back to work is that I need some routine. Yeah. Like there's That whole, like, it's Christmas. Like, eat, drink, and be merry is wonderful. And then the day after, you're like, we did too much of all of the above. Yeah, we're going to talk more about that at 645, but I'm feeling a little guilty about how many potato chips I ate over the last couple of days. And that maybe leads into my next question here, because we're going to discuss this at 745. If I were to ask you, Loren, just hypothetically, if I were to say to you, hey, McNabb, have you lost weight? How would you react to that? Well, honestly, the answer would be, God, no, <laughs> the opposite. But if it were true, like if I had been working on it, mm-hmm. um, I would be okay with it. Okay. Yeah. The reason I ask is some people don't like to be asked that question. Some people do like to be asked that question. I like it when people ask that question, regardless of whether or not I've lost weight. It kind of makes me feel good. But some people just hate being asked that question, even if they have identified to you, if they've said to you, I want to lose weight. And then you say to them, hey, have you lost weight? They still don't like being asked that Mm. question. So it's kind of a tricky conversation. And the reason we bring it up is Adele, singer Adele, recently posted some pictures on social media. She doesn't often do that. But she posted pictures where she had shown that, well, the pictures showed that she has lost weight. Yeah, she wasn't talking about the fact she lost weight. She just looks thinner. Mm -hmm. And therefore, people are like, wow, you look amazing. You've clearly lost weight, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so the, 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 the first reaction was her fans were excited. Media outlets were excited. And then there was an outcry, sort of a backlash of people saying, hold on. She hasn't talked about this herself. We don't know the circumstances that led to her weight loss because she did split from her marriage earlier this year. Mm -hmm. Some were suggesting it's a revenge body. Others were saying maybe she lost the weight because she's unhappy. We don't know. So they're saying this is, it's fat phobic. Revenge body? Sorry, I just got caught up in that. That's a thing too. Like as if you've lost weight to get back at the ex. Yeah. Can it just be about something big happened in my life? I'm losing weight because something big happened and therefore I'm, you know, trying to be better all around. You could, but there's all, the revenge body is a real thing. People do that. Really? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. That's a lot of work for an ex. (laughs) Screw you, ex. (laughs) Revenge body is getting fatter. You're happier. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. But so we don't know what led to the weight loss. And people are saying it's fat phobic to celebrate her weight loss. And, you know, this is an evolving topic that I think uh, I I count myself among those who Want I want to get an education on this because I've always been one of the people who celebrates weight loss. Like when Seth Rogen and Jonah mm-hmm. Hill lost a bunch of weight, I was among those who were like, yeah, man, way to go. Way to lose that weight. Or when Chris Pratt, remember when he... Mm-hmm debuted that picture of him standing in his uh, in his bedroom or whatever with just his underwear showing off his Guardians of the Galaxy body. Like, he was a, he was kind of a roly-poly guy. Yeah, yeah, and definitely had some abs and then some after that. Yeah, I don't know where I sit at this because I think that a lot of, for a lot of people, their weight is very much tied to their psyche and so therefore 
focusing on whether their waist has gone up or down is a reflection of you commenting on like, are you happy or mm. are you unhappy? Yeah. But you could be a person who gains weight when you're unhappy. People who also lose weight when they're unhappy. There's all sorts of diff- different metabolisms. Like myself, if I'm if I'm gaining weight, it, it might be because um, I'm not as happy or, you know, those kinds of things. Like I'm not the one or stressed. Yeah. Like when I'm stressed, I eat. Whereas some people, when they're stressed, they don't eat. Yeah, I shut right? down. I, I right. st- basically stop eating. So if you were losing weight, it might be because you've tried, but it also might be, wow, like something's wrong. Is something wrong with Brett? He looks like he's 10 pounds thinner. Yeah, right? well, that happened to me in August. I, right. I was stressed out about something and I dropped 15 pounds and everybody thought I was uh, sick or what's the matter with you? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I am stressed out, but I think people, with my case too, people, I've, I've always been a little bit overweight. Mm-hmm. So anytime in my life it's where obvious. I've actually dropped weight, people think there's something wrong with me. Right. Because they're just used to me being overweight. But that, so this is what I, this is where I struggle. Because then, are we commenting about someone's like, how are you versus like, how are you? You know, in terms of your weight. Like now, you're looking at your insides more. Something's yeah. going on in your brain, which is why you're skinny, and that might be why people are uncomfortable with it. Because it's like I don't want to be psychoanalyzed. I just happen to have dropped five pounds. You know. And there's also maybe a misconception that just because you're thinner doesn't mean you're healthier, or just because you are right. heavier by traditional standards doesn't mean you're like I know I know people who teach fitness classes mm-hmm. who are. From a traditional standpoint, overweight. Yeah. I have one of my good friends is uh, would be considered, you know, the phrase big boned would be used by a grandparent in the days gone by, right? But she goes, she's at the gym an hour and a half every single day. She runs a ton. She's super healthy, fit with her kids, but she, but she's not thin. Yeah. And so the whole idea that you have to be a certain weight to be healthy is also stuck in there somewhere. Well, let us know what you think. Is it fat phobic to celebrate someone's weight loss? And we'll have conversation on this at 745 with someone behind something called the Everybody Campaign. If you want more on that, just look up the Everybody Campaign on Instagram. Now, we've got to talk about finances, particularly post-Christmas. Oh, we just yesterday were looking at the credit card bill and trying to figure out, you know, pretty much every month my husband's convinced someone's stolen from us. Like he looks at the credit card statement and says, who bought this such and such thing at such and such place? And I'm like, you did. <laughs> oh, well, what's this thing about that? I was like, remember we're at the Jets game? Oh, yeah. I was like, he's like, like he wants so badly for the number to not be true, right? Yeah. So now post-Christmas, you're doing the whole like, oh boy, like did we overextend ourselves? Did we come in on budget? And this time of year, when it comes to your personal finances, this can be the most stressful time of the year. But according to an exclusive poll done by Ipsos for Global News, people in this country apparently are feeling better this year than last about their money situation. And as Global's Sean O'Shea reports, much of that has to do with how much Canadians seem to have saved. On a day that's known traditionally for spending and saving money, uh, I probably save around like $800 on that. Boxing Day is still a time Canadians like to shop because they feel they can afford to. I've been saving up, so I've been waiting for Boxing Day sales. Overall, Canadians are positive about their financial health. Two in three Canadians say that their financial situation is good. Exclusive polling for Global News by Ipsos shows 65% of Canadians felt very good or somewhat good about their financial situation. That's up four percentage points from a year ago. At the same time, though, Canadians were more frugal in 2019. Definitely not getting overwhelmed with things are cheap and on sale, sticking to what we've set out to purchase. I don't know, I guess the economy, you just don't know what's uh, on the horizon and you just want to be a little bit more cautious. The polling shows confidence in spending depends a lot on where you live. 
Atlantic Canadians felt the best about their situation, 77%. But just over half of Albertans said they felt financially good, and feeling secure influences spending. Across the country, 28% of Canadians said they reduced how much they spend on essentials like food and shelter. But in Alberta, with a tenuous economy right now, that number was much higher, at 38%. Our polling shows Canadians also cut back on non-essential items, like travel, entertainment, and items they didn't really need. A lot of times you just accumulate stuff and you think, do I really need this? So I kind of limited myself. It might not be directly because of um, wanting to spend less, I just want to own fewer things. I've been more conservative, I've been more... I've been doing more planning and then thinking about how to do be better at it and that's that's what I've been doing and it's it's working out well. While Canadians are taking control of what they spend, they're not as happy with another aspect of their lives. It's very interesting to note an inverse relationship between one's financial situation and one's sex life. Our poll shows 59% of Canadians are content with their romantic life, but that's down by 3 points from last year. Maybe people are reining in their spending. Maybe they're not going out for that romantic dinner, buying the box of chocolates or the bouquet of flowers, and their sex life is suffering as a result. Saving money where they can, possibly at the expense of other measures of happiness, as Canadians try to balance what they can really afford to spend. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. So two things on this for me. I am stressed out about money because I don't know how I did this, but mid-month when I looked at... You know how much money I had in my bank account. I thought, wow, I think I'm, I think I'm going to be okay through mm-hmm. Christmas. But I forgot about one of the major withdrawals, one of my major, like my RSP contribution. Right. I forgot completely that that was coming out. So I, a few days later, I checked my bank account and I thought, what happened? Oh my god, I forgot about this. So naturally, I was immediately stressed out because I went way over budget for Christmas. As I typically do, I, I tend to just think, ah, I'll get this and I'll get that. And I, I always exceed my limit. But the second thing, and I find that really interesting on how people's satisfaction with their romantic life has gone down just a little bit. I mean, it's gone down three percentage yeah. points over the last year. But the implication there is that if you're saving money, maybe it's at the expense of your romantic life. Maybe you're not going out as much or what have you. So... Does can you can you be can you be both? Can, can you, you be, be financially both? happy but also romantically happy? Or I think happier? so. I don't know. Like that whole money doesn't buy happiness thing. I'm not trying to. I don't need to go down that road. But it can. It is true in some sense. Like I don't need. I really. We rarely buy gifts for each other, but we'll do things. We'll go out and have like you know experiences and that kind of stuff. And that stuff that can cost. But to me, more it's the spending time. So I think you can have both. It depends on what who you are. Like some people really enjoy getting those gifts and having like praise and money lavished on them and flowers and things and that's a sign of them having a good romantic life and i'm not that person no no oh, when i if i when i have a a partner or when i have a girlfriend i i love buying gifts i like i like to go out and find that thoughtful gift yeah like i don't mean i don't like like i like it but i like little things like if you showed up in may with something right or if, if my husband came home with something that it's, it's not christmas it's not valentine's it's not my birthday it's just like i passed this in the store and i thought you might like it that to me is more romantic than like going out of your way to try to be big on Christmas, you yeah. know? Yeah, and I, I like to do that too. The, the thoughtful well, then you're gifts. in trouble. You're yeah. broke. Yeah, I, that. Yeah, well, <laughs> and it, it, I guess in that sense, maybe it's a good thing I'm single right now. But hey, Loren found the book. She has the book, and I just she's gonna she took a picture. She's gonna put it out on her Twitter shortly. McNabb on Global. 
By the way, if you want to read more on uh, Sean O'Shea's report, we have linked the story to our 680 CJOB Instagram. And after 7 o'clock, we're going to talk more about where your bottom line could take a hit in 2020. But the book is called <laughs> Canine Unit, Yuletide Threat. USA Today best-selling authors, Margaret Daly, Valerie Hansen, and Laura Scott. This book was previously published as Standoff at Christmas and <laughs> Military Canine Unit Christmas. And the back reads... Christmas comes wrapped in danger. Standoff at Christmas Day. Anchorage canine officer Jake Nichols returns home for Christmas to recover from the accident that almost killed him and find some peace. But those plans are shattered when childhood friend Rachel Hart gets caught up in a drug smuggling ring after her aunt is murdered. Soon their lives are in peril as Jake battles the Alaskan winter, a ruthless criminal and his developing feelings for Rachel. Oh, boy. See, I love it that my kids thought to buy gifts this year for both of us. They were really conscientious. We were outside a store, and all of a sudden my oldest was like, hey, Mom, can we run in here? We can get your Christmas presents. So I did. I sent them in with my brother. Yeah. But, uh, and I and I had said a book would be on my list, you know, and I had said, you know, like something that's dramatic or <laughs> crime. And so, you'll tie threat with two dogs on the cover. I'm I'm about thirty pages in. I'm not hating it. Oh well, hey, you know, it's good. a good it's a good lazy Christmas read. I really don't have to think hard through it's, it. So it's just like pulp fiction. I really hope this isn't written by a Winnipegger who. Oh, this is a Harlequin love inspired classic. Oh my god! Oh no! You, you I should have been clear that that is not to be part of the. <laughs> that is not a criteria. But you know what? Thought that counts. I love it. Watch for the picture on McNabb's Twitter coming up in a moment. Are you in a food coma right now? Normally, this is where we have a roundtable discussion, but we're missing Clay Young. Oh, here comes Kelly Moore. Jeff Forte is here. We're going to talk about food comas. And I walked in today determined not to eat any bad snacks. And when I walked into the studio, there was a tray of assorted chocolates and cookies, and I inhaled five or six of them in like 30 seconds. Mm. I had said it was nice to get back to work, Kelly, because at least you hit routine in your day. That whole, like, it's Christmas, so yeah. anything goes. Like, it's your excuse for suddenly eating. Like, I had pierogies yesterday morning, <laughs> right? Like, it's your excuse for everything. Ah, it's Christmas. And you're like, at some point, this has to stop. My wife, uh, she she likes to sleep in. I get up early. So, so she says, what do you have for breakfast this morning? And that, this was yesterday. So I said, well, I started off with eating a few pieces of uh, turkey mm-hmm. left over from the dinner. Then I uh, segued over to uh, some leftover stuff from the tray that you made with, uh, you know, cut up kobasa and cheese and crackers. Sure. Uh, and then uh, we had bought uh, this nice collection of Morden's nuts and glossette raisins, and I uh, had that, and then I had some potato chips. <laughs> Just a solid That was, wow. that solid was breakfast, Thursday. man. Oh, I'll tell you. God, did I feel awful. Oh, <laughs> it's so bad. Like that, but I was, I don't know about you, Clay. I was dreaming of the leftovers. Like I drove, drove my family to the airport yesterday and the whole drive home was like, oh, yeah. man, like what am I going to put in that sandwich? So many things. No? Am I alone? No, not at all. I'm just thinking of my leftovers. I got some just sitting by my desk right now. Oh, you're, now you're worried I'm going to go attack them? Dressing, meatballs, mm. um, peanut butter. Cookies. Was, peanut sorry, butter, I, yeah. I, how does peanut butter fit into dressing I, I was amusing the family the other night at the Christmas Eve party talking about my um, ham and peanut butter sandwiches. No, you don't. Ham, ham and peanut and pe- butter. No, you don't. 
Think of the protein that's packed in those suckers. <laughs> oh, way to, oh, way to ruin a peanut butter sandwich. Oh. <laughs> or is, a ham sandwich, for gosh. That's disgusting. The, the interesting <laughs> peanut butter combinations that people get into sometimes always blow me away. Um, but I wanted to, before I forget, I mentioned that my sister made uh, mac and cheese. This fancy thing. I think she calls it death by mac and cheese. It's a slow cooker thing. It takes like a few hours. But I don't know what happened. Uh, she's not sure what happened. She followed the recipe. But it, it ended up essentially being almost like this, like a, a paste. I think the macaroni maybe like disintegrated or, or something like that. It was still delicious. It was, it was, it was the, this super cheesy dish. So like while we were eating, she went and threw in another pot of macaroni and then mixed it in. Um, I actually think I liked it better. The first before. time? Yeah. Mm. But uh, that, so I, I had so much macaroni over the last couple of days. And then the chocolate lasagna that she made. And then like three full bags of potato chips. And today I kind of hate myself. But it was uh, I delicious. think there's more potato chips still over on the office oh, side. Good. Too. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, good. Is that Just, true? I think so, yeah. Oh, I'm kind uh, of intrigued by that. Are there any cheese balls left? They were everywhere. <laughs> Forche, how much have we consumed? Are you all done now with your food? Or did, oh, you no. get, did your mom send you home with a plate? Well, she sent me home with a, a big bowl of turkey soup and turkey salad to make turkey salad sandwiches. Yeah. You dip that sucker in the soup and there you go. Oh, wow. So good. Uh, yesterday, my wife uh, carved up the bird, so we've got a couple of... We, she makes this un- unbelievable turkey casserole, so we've got a couple of bags of turkey for that, got a couple of smaller bags for turkey soup. She made ham and pea, split pea soup yesterday with the leftover ham from Christmas Eve, so like, we're set. For, you know, if, if the for world comes long? to an end, it's fine. We can go down to the basement. <laughs> We're set, man. We'll just bring out the cap stove See, and away we go. I've actually been kind of mad. We had a couple extra people over um, for Christmas Day. What, you were mad because you had extra people no, over? No, I love oh. having them. I was like, darn it, this turkey isn't going to be big enough. And not because it wasn't big enough for supper. You want leftovers. It wasn't going to be big enough. So we, we basically ate most of the leftovers yesterday, and I'm annoyed by that. The fact that the leftovers are almost gone. Yeah. yeah. I, to me, it's got to be good. You can do turkey sandwiches for at least three days afterwards. Yeah. And when my mom used to make turkey, I would have turkey leftovers for almost a week. It would yeah. get to the point where I was, where I'd wonder, is like, is this still safe to eat? <laughs> yeah. Yes, no, I do that all the time, all the time with leftovers. You can freeze them, you know, and then warm them up later. Yeah. 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 I, I like to, to, I guess, live on the wild side. I don't know. Can, can you, I'm the can, same way. Can you freeze ham and peanut butter sandwiches, though? That's what yes. I want to know. You can. Yes, yes, absolutely. What, what kind of ham? Uh, just uh, the uh, cooked ham. Yeah, honey right. glazed. Honey glazed. Yes. <laughs> so it's kind of like a peanut so it's butter, like a peanut butter honey. honey ham sandwich. I'll just change the subject on that. And I'm. <laughs> 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 you eat what? Um, but I'm a sucker for cookies. Man, I've been eating so many cookies in the last couple of days. Yours or someone else that brought them, or you took them from the Christmas a party? A combo of both. What just, kind of cookies? Uh, chocolate chip, gingerbread. Just can't stop eating them. Mm. They're so know, addictive. Let oh. us know at 204-780-6868. What snack did you overindulge upon over the last couple of days? Oh, and gravy. Not enough gravy. Gravy can go on everything. There, there, there can never be too much gravy. It's McGarry and McNabb mackling back on Monday after Global News at 7 o'clock. Is your wallet going to take a hit at the grocery store? Details next on The Start. 
So now that Christmas is over, many of us are looking at our credit card bills to figure out if we came in on budget or perhaps we spent over our limit or well over our limit, as is the case for some of us. We know the holidays can be a stressful time of year for many Manitobans. And while we were just sharing with you after 6.30 a new poll that concluded the majority are feeling pretty good about their finances at this time, that could change as we head into 2020, especially when it comes to our food bills. Sylvain Charlebois is the Senior Director of Dalhousie's Agri-Food Analytics Lab, and he joins us now. Good morning, Sylvain. Good morning. Happy holidays. Same to you. I appreciate you joining us. I'm not sure how you're feeling about what food coma you might be in, but food is what we're talking about this morning. <laughs> I think everyone is is addicted to either sodium or sugar. Yeah, and so, that keep, you keeps you going, right? Um, Absolutely. We're talking about prices as we head into 2020, and everyone's trying to look at, you know, their bottom line. And you had recently taken a look at some numbers, and, and the question I have for you this morning when it comes to our food and grocery bills, are food prices actually going up, or do we just feel like they are? No, they are actually. Um, so we published uh, the 10th uh, Canada's Food Price Report back uh, early this month, and we are predicting uh, that food inflation will reach about 4% in 2020, which would make 2020, uh, 2020 the fourth consecutive year uh, during which the food inflation rate will exceed the inflation rate. So if people feel that they're falling behind when they're visiting the grocery store. It's, 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 not, it's not just about perception. It's actually true. I mean, people actually are, they have to spend more, a higher percentage of their, of their budget on food uh, more than ever before over the last 20 years. What kinds of food are going up the most? Uh, I say uh, mostly if for 2020, it's going to be meat products. And uh, some people may wonder, well, we've been talking about plant-based products, so what's, why are meat prices going up? It's all about China. Now, China is buying basically everything around the world, pork, beef. They're dealing with uh, this uh, swine uh, fever uh, outbreak uh, affecting their herds. And so they need, they need pork, and they need our pork, and they need beef as well. And so that's why... We are expecting Canadians, uh, Manitobans, to pay more. That Manitoba and Winnipeg in particular, you guys have been spared over the last few years because there's been more stores opening up. Um, Save on Foods is a bit, was a big factor in, in recent years, but that's, that's about to end. And that's why 2020 we are expecting food prices to actually uh, move up about 4% in Manitoba and in particular in Winnipeg. So you're suggesting that the, because we've had new grocery stores to the scene, there's been more competition and therefore prices have stayed down. Uh, how does that shift into 2020? Is it just the China impact here when it comes to meat or are there other things at play in, locally in this market? Yeah, produce is always a tricky one. Of course, Manitoba is dependent on imports. You guys, 90% of, of all the produce you guys consume is imported from elsewhere whether it's from another uh, Canadian province or uh, from uh, the United States, Mexico, or elsewhere. And so you're, you're, you're highly vulnerable. I mean, if, you, if, if say, for example, a Canadian dollar goes down five cents, uh, that's quickly reflected at the grocery store. Uh, you remember the cauliflower incident a few years ago? That's mm-hmm. exactly what happened. And so, um, yeah, Manitoba, the prairies, I used to live in the prairies myself for seven years, and uh, you saw 
a lot of price fluctuations uh, in the produce size in particular. So produce bakery should be fine. If you're a big fan of bread, you should be okay in 2020. But uh, everything on the periphery, uh, seafood, produce, meat, uh, you are, we are expecting some volatility there. What about the cost of unhealthy food? Because we've talked a lot about how it can be hard to eat healthier when there are unhealthy alternatives that are cheaper. That's the problem with food inflation. If food inflation actually um, uh, forces families, consumers to make different choices, they often trade down. Uh, and what I mean about trade down, it's not necessarily about price, but they, they, they certainly look at quality. Uh, just look at dollar stores. Uh, dollar stores in Canada are selling for over $2.5 billion worth of food now to Canadians. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of food. And so, and people tend to go and visit dollar stores because they can't afford to go to the grocery store as often. So you, you do, you, you see the, you do see that danger happening uh, in the future if uh, food inflation becomes a real factor for a lot of people. Well, you're talking about products that then aren't fresh, right? It's canned goods, it's it's things like that, which gets us back to the sodium we were just talking about off the top. More salt, yeah. more sugar in all those products. <laughs> the one thing I, I would encourage people to do is to visit the freezer aisle in Boston in 2020. We don't realize it, but uh, often the freezer aisle is immune to food inflation. Look, look at potatoes, for example. Fresh potatoes are up 20% year to year, but in the freezer aisle, they're up slightly 2%. And, uh, and the reason why uh, that aisle is, is immune to food inflation is that there's, there's some transactional cost. There's, there's more cost to just you know, picking something up and, and ship it to a grocery store. There's, there's more to it than that. And all these transactional costs absorb the impact of higher input costs. Almost That's as- like you want to save some money and you want the same nutritional value, go to the freezer aisle as often as possible. That was going to be my last question. Often people think the freezer stuff is not as good as fresh, but it's pretty darn close when it comes to your nutritional value, Sylvain. Doesn't taste the same, but nutritionally, uh, it's the same thing. Sylvain Charlebois, Senior Director of Dalhousie's Agri-Food Analytics Lab, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Sylvain, thank you as always for the time. Happy holidays. Happy New Year to you, sir. Happy holidays to you guys, too. Let's talk about fat phobia. Adele recently posted some pics on Instagram, which showed she's lost weight. Many of her fans celebrated this fact. Many media outlets celebrated this fact. But that led to an outcry about fat phobia because Adele herself has not commented on her weight loss. She didn't post the pics to say, hey, I lost weight. She just posted some pics. So a lot of people are saying the weight loss might not necessarily be a good thing. She did split from her marriage earlier this year. There's been talk of a revenge body, a breakup body. But until Adele says something, many people say it's not okay to comment on her weight. So to offer some insight into this, we've got in studio with us Shauna Shimnowski, who owns Organic Tan on Provence. She's a personal trainer, she's a group fitness coach, and she's behind the Winnipeg chapter of the Everybody Campaign, which celebrates women of all shapes and sizes and encourages women to love themselves and love their bodies. Shauna, good morning and welcome back. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So we'll just start with a question. It's our question of the day at CJOB.com. Is it fat phobic to celebrate someone's weight loss? You know, this one is a tough one. I have so many mixed feelings about this. In some senses, I want to say, yes, it is. It's crazy how 
they post one picture and no one is like, oh, she looks vibrant or she, you know, have something else to say. And they go right to, oh, wow, you look good now. Like, didn't she look good before? So you let's know, divide that up because you said you, you're torn. I said the same thing this mm-hmm. morning. We, so let's start with the side where it could be fatful. But what's your concerns when you start with the idea of the, the very first thing someone notices is the weight loss? That they're, That's what they're so focused on. That's what they're so stuck on is that society thinks that we should be thinner, that they didn't want to celebrate her in a larger size. They only want to celebrate and comment and have all these amazing things to say now that she is thinner. And we don't even really know what those reasons are. So would that help on the other side? So that's why it could be fat phobic. On the other side, why it might not be, is that because we don't know the context? If she we comes don't. out and says, I wanted, I was just trying to be healthier, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking to be more fit, or mm-hmm. I'm trying to you know, work on my heart or something like that, or, then you might be okay with it. this is just something with her personal growth journey. Mm -hmm. Who knows what that is? Um, So that looks different for everyone. So everyone has a different journey, a different personal growth that they're doing. Maybe she does want to be more fit or maybe like maybe she wasn't even trying and it just happened. We don't even know. Well, and I think another part of the conversation too is this, this sort of thing is maybe wonder, is it bad to ask someone if they've lost weight? Like for, Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. A couple of months ago, I asked someone who had told me, point blank, I want to lose weight. And then I saw them a few weeks later, and it looked like that person had lost weight. So I said, hey, have you lost some weight? Looks good. Mm -hmm. And they said, yeah. But then I later heard them talking to someone else saying they don't like it when people ask that question. So then I felt like a jerk right? because I was trying to be supportive. And as it turns out, it I was in... Yeah. And telling them what they wanted to hear. Yeah. <laughs> like if someone said, I want to read more books for 2020, like if you're talking, say, on a resolution scale, or which is often involves weight or be more fit in the new year. So it might be your resolution could be, I want to read more books. If I saw that person reading a book, I'd be like, good for you. How many books are you up to this year? I'm... I'm you know, it's the same kind of inquiry if someone states a goal is to lose weight or be fit. I feel right. like that's okay then. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Yeah. I think there shouldn't be an issue, but I can appreciate where someone might not like it because it might, I was saying sometimes weight comes down to a more mental health thing for people mm-hmm. and then addressing their weight gain or loss might be addressing what's going on internally, Shauna. Mm-hmm. They could be have an obsession with counting their macros. They could have an obsession of, you know, over Christmas dinner, I ate too much and now I got to work it off. Like there's other unhealthy aspects to it as well. Like as in, as in, uh, you, you can become obsessed with trying to drop the weight exactly. to, to an unhealthy point. Mm-hmm. Or you're not even really enjoying the holidays because all you're thinking about is all the food that is out and what you can and cannot eat or if you eat so much that what you need to do afterwards. Does celebrating weight loss imply that being thinner is better? I do not believe being thinner is better. No. Why? It doesn't define you. Um, There's so many more things about, and not just women, but men too. There's just so many more things that we're worthy of than just what our body looks like. And our body is going to change and it's forever going to change. And the way we look today is not maybe the way we're going to look in a year from now. And so there are more things that we need to worry about, obviously, that are more important than just a weight number. 
When it comes to losing weight and just the conversation around that, then perhaps we need to change the way we approach it. I know some gyms do the, do this or some trainers, when they ask you your goal, people might often write down to lose 20 pounds, to lose 30 pounds. And I have heard people have other conversations saying, okay, but hang on, what's that mean for you in the sense of, um, are you looking to just get your get out and be active X mm-hmm. times a week? Are you talking about muscle tone? Are you talking about being outdoors and being fit? Because it shouldn't just be about that number on the scale. If no. you're, if that's the goal, then mm-hmm. you're going to find yourself in trouble. Exactly. And sometimes that weight number doesn't change. Even though your body's changed, that weight number doesn't always change um, or it can fluctuate slightly. But if it, the goal is 20 pounds, it's not always a good, you know, it's not always good to just have that obsession number to get to because you may never get there. Mm-hmm. Um, however, your body has changed. So let's ch- sort of change our thought pattern and change the way we're thinking about things and saying things to ourselves. And let's do it so that we're feeling better. We're feeling stronger. You know, we're doing maybe things we couldn't do before and the the length of the run we take or the walk and that sort of thing and not be so fixated on that number. Mm. Is it a misconception to assume that someone who is carrying what society would deem as extra pounds to assume that that person is unhealthy because of that? For sure. And it doesn't mean that you are unhealthy. Like the health comes in all different sizes, shapes, you know, so it's, it's so difficult because you, there are, someone that is 10 or 15 pounds heavier could be very much healthier. Like you look at me, do you know that I have high blood pressure? No. You know, things like that. You don't know what someone is going through and what their individual health is. There's also that assumption too, that when people gain weight, that they're going through something or they might be depressed right now Mm -hmm. or not feeling well. And so everyone ties in. It's like we look at the body and we decide who that person is Mm -hmm. and whether they're happy or sad, which is, which is definitely not the case too. Mm -hmm. You can, we talked about anxiety inducing weight loss in you sometimes, Brett. Yeah. Well, when I'm stressed out, I lose, I stop eating basically. And, and over the summer I lost 15 pounds because I was stressed out about some personal stuff and I got down to I think 189 and then I even got down further to 185. Uh, I was able to level off to a point where I reined in my eating. I started eating again, but I eat, I ate healthier and I started going back to the gym for the first mm-hmm. time in years. So I've managed to stay at that weight. Uh, but actually, I'm trying to gain weight, like good weight, because whenever I gain weight, it's always around my tummy. Mm-hmm. So for mm-hmm. me, my the weight number has always been a thing because it's always around my belly, and uh, I I would like to not have a big belly for once in my life. So, right. uh, but but what happened with me is people assumed that I was sick, and uh, people were telling me you're too thin now, and that's not a good feeling either. No, right? I actually felt kind of good about my weight for once in my life. Mm-hmm. But indeed, the stress uh, can create problems. So if, I guess if if somebody is trying to lose weight and someone asks them, hey, have you lost weight? What should their reaction be if, uh, what am I trying to ask you here? Well, what, I don't actually be- know what I'm asking What's here, a better <laughs> way though to do it then? Is, the, is, to, is it to drop the question from our regular conversation? Because it is one, anytime you see somebody... Almost, especially if you haven't seen them in a while, you feel like the need to be like, you look so great. Oh my gosh, you look young or you look like you've mm-hmm. lost weight. You might even say it when you, mm-hmm. you don't mean it because you feel like that's an attachment. That's where the praise should always go. So do we need to drop that from our conversation? Or if someone says it to me and I don't like it, should I point it out and say, sure, like, don't ask me about my weight. It's none of your business. Exactly. I'm trying to, trying to walk more, but I'm not trying to lose weight. I should yeah, say that? I think so. But just think about even when you get 
together, like, say, with your girlfriends or whatever? What is, like, the number one first thing that comes out probably within the first five minutes of that conversation? Oh, you know, you're t- you usually talk about something about your weight or what you've been doing or, you know, this week I really ate clean. You know, you're always, it's always the in the forefront of everyone's mind, everything we do. I mean, I'm guilty of it too. We talk about those things all the time. I've been trying to change the conversation. We, over Christmas table, talked about things we were thankful for and things we want to work on in the year. And I said, I'm not going to say something stupid like the pounds I want to lose, but I am going to start to say I want to be outside more and get my mind, Mm -hmm. keep my mind and my body active. Mm -hmm. And that way I'm dropping the whole weight conversation from it. Yeah, we just have to, I think, change the way we are relaying the message, especially to the next generation coming up. You know, um, they're so fixated on their look and that's not healthy. If you want to follow the Everybody Campaign on social media, at the Everybody Campaign on Instagram, as well the hashtag the Everybody Campaign, where you can learn stories of all kinds of amazing women of all different shapes and sizes and why they love themselves and are encouraging you to love yourself. Shauna Shimnowski runs, owns Organic Tan on Provence. She's a personal trainer, group fitness coach, and she's behind the Winnipeg chapter of the Everybody Campaign. Shauna, thank you for the insight into this. We appreciate it very Thanks much. Thanks for having me. Now that Christmas is done, but your kids are still off school, eventually you're going to have to chase them outside, right? Oh, I was just talking about the idea that you feel like it's the same way you think it's okay to eat, drink, and be merry for those few days where you're like, ah, it's Christmas. You know, I'll worry about this after Christmas. I am the same way with really hunkering down. Like, I like being inside for Christmas. I don't stress that I haven't done much beyond the cooking and maybe some cleaning. But sitting on the couch, watching some movies, reading a book, snuggling, whatever it is, you're okay with being inside, right? But then you do get to the point where, like, when was the last time I went outside, the kids went outside? Like, has anyone done anything physical today? And that brings us to our next guest because he's all about the outdoors and you know, doing something a little physical in the outdoors, even if it's just making some taffy. Barrett Miller, of course, is with Fort White Alive and joins us now. Good morning and happy holidays, Barrett. Good morning. Happy holidays back at you. Before we get into all the great things you have going on there, uh, as soon as we mentioned we were going to talk to you, we took a couple phone calls from listeners that have some questions about what's been going on in their backyards. And one of them was about coyotes and the idea that they've seen, I think it was Bridgewater, Brett. Yep. So they were in Bridgewater and they've seen what they think is, seems to be more coyotes and also more regged. Raggedy, raggedy, raggedy looking coyotes. <laughs> raggedy. Oh, okay. Um, well, it is. I'm not sure they'd be seeing. Well, I'm not sure that there are more than there would have been a couple of weeks or months ago. But with winter setting in, and you know, we people, it's it's not just us who celebrate the holidays. It's anything around us that celebrates off of all of the stuff that we leave behind. Um, people mean food for coyotes, and I'm not saying people will eat, or coyotes will eat people. That's just not accurate at all. However, our garbage, some of the little critters that we attract, mice and rats, that kind of thing, that is a coyote buffet. So as things get harder and colder out there, the coyotes will sort of hunker in. And um, it's nothing to be afraid of. If you have a small dog or a cat, make sure that it's on a leash or nearby you and you're watching it, and just sort of enjoy those wild neighbors this time of year. So you're saying that the coyotes aren't coming for our scraps, they're coming to get the other little creatures who are trying to get to our scraps. Well, they wouldn't say no to our scraps, but the mice and that kind of thing are just usually a little bit faster and just as tasty to a coyote. 
This time of yeah. year, I was wondering with the mild weather, too, does that have an impact? I mean, it's warmer than normal, and we love it. But can that be detrimental or a struggle for some of uh, our favorite furry friends out there? Well, it... it sort of cuts both ways. For some animals, this is wonderful. Uh, it's a good winter to be a deer. It's very easy to get through the soft, low amount of snow that we have so far and eat what's underneath. Um, but anything that depends on that snowpack, uh, I had my nephews out in the uh, forest yesterday, and all the little rodents, the voles, the lemmings, and that thing, that like, that would normally run under the snow, they are totally exposed to things like owls and hawks right now. Um, we were able to find where a bear had gone into its den in November, and you can still see its little snout. There's not snow on top of that, so that bear is going to burn energy more quickly as it hibernates to stay warm. So anything that depends on the snowpack is not hurting right now, but would like a little bit more snow. And the colder temperatures, there are things that would benefit anything that needs to... Um, wants a nice crust of snow for travel. But on the other hand, there's animals like the deer who are just loving the conditions that we have right now. All right, so I'm looking at your website, mm-hmm. fortwhite.org. Mm-hmm. And before we talk about all the events, what's this about? You make taffy? We do. A proud, proud tradition. Um, when you boil down maple sap to get maple syrup, you're left with a little bit of sugar. Now, we don't go and uh, tap the whole tree as we start with maple syrup. We let somebody else do most of the boiling. When you heat it up to a certain temperature and you put it on the snow, suddenly it goes from being goopy and sticky. Well, it's still pretty sticky, but it goes to being a very, very nice toffee kind of treat. So very, very traditional um, on many communities in Manitoba. Um, especially those with some francophone heritage. So we've paired that up with Voyager Games today. So you can play your favorite fur trade era games, get your t- family tug-of-war on, see whether uh, see how accurate you can throw, how high you can jump. See, uh, you know, maybe celebrate a little bit of Festivus, do some feats of strength kind of thing. <laughs> Okay. And then uh, relax with a nice little bit of snow taffy. Well, that's why I laugh um, at your description on your website. It says, burn off some of that holiday energy with a round of outdoor (laughs) Voyager games and then head to the sod house to make your own maple taffy. You're just, you're Mm -hmm. you're like, basically you're, you're getting, you might burn off the calories, but then I have the taffy, Barrett, and I'm back at square one. Oh, you know, actually, if we're talking about uh, New Year's resolutions, if we're talking about being inactive over the holidays, just getting outside and moving... Getting outside in a chilly environment. I'm not saying you need to freeze yourself, but just getting outside and being chilly burns almost twice as many calories as the same activity on a track inside or going for a leisurely indoor stroll. So just being outside, you're earning that taffy. What if I just go outside and sit? Um, Even to keep your body warm, you're still doing better than if you were just sitting inside. (laughs) You want to take a book out into the backyard in January? Um, Hey, go for it. It's a good thing. So you've got all sorts of stuff going on. Uh, tomorrow, mm-hmm. for example, I see there is a scavenger hunt. So, I mean, yeah. I love scavenger hunts, and Fort White seems like it'd be a really wild place to do that. Yeah, the family photo hunt is a really fun one. Um, we've sort of modernized it. You take your, bring a phone, bring a camera, get some really cool holiday pictures of your family uh, and friends in the woods as you complete various little challenges around the property. Really good way to get outside. And you're also... Walking around with a camera, you're prepared if that special bird pops out or when you have a wildlife encounter. So that's actually a really fun one. Um, I I quite like that one. Although I do have to say that my favorite is coming up January 2nd. We have jam pail curling. 
If um, if you've never done natural ice jam peel curling, it's amazing. It's a fun, uh, easy access version of the sport. Folks out there who have, maybe when they were kids, this is a really good way to introduce your kids to curling. So that'll be fun on January 2nd. Explain to me what it is, Barrett. I'm trying to look at the pictures now so I don't get down and throw a rock like I normally would. There's not there's not the slide that there normally is. Um, and our rocks are actually... Um, Back in the day, jam came in metal cans like paint does nowadays, and kids would freeze them, paint some rings on the local ice where they weren't playing hockey, and curl. Well, paint cans are hard to come by. They need to go to the hazmat, so we actually freeze milk jugs. Recycle that plastic. Use some milk jugs. We have our skating rink marked with, uh, with rings. And then, yeah, it's just like the game of curling. A little bit easier uh, because there isn't the sliding if you want to bring a broom out, the sweeping does help, but not necessary. And it's just, yeah, it's, with all due respect to crow curl, it's kind of like croconoe on ice or entry-level curling. I also was looking at your uh, Fort White Instagram. You guys have a toboggan slide there too, right? Oh, yes. The toboggan slide is open anytime that we are open. It's one of the fastest in Winnipeg. Talking about what the mild conditions will do, um, don't want to create a huge rush down there right for the uh, right for opening, but after last night, with it sort of being mild and a little bit foggy, those are the best conditions for that toboggan slide. A little bit of frost on there, it's going to go like a rocket. If you're worried that it's a little bit too intense for you, the transitions between toboggan and flat are nice and smooth this year. It is a really, really fun ride. Um, if you think it might be a little bit much for the little ones, there's a couple mild hills right and around that toboggan slide too, so the whole family can enjoy a good slide. Well, that's always the issue this time for anybody. You you want to get outside, you want to do some tobogganing, but there's not so many hills to be found in this province, so it's nice to know there's some fake, I guess I can call them fake hills, and, and pre-existing hills too. Well, yeah, there are the pre-existing hills. We've uh, We've built a couple, and you know, when you think about it, even in places with hills. You know, Calgary has the Olympic Park. Even in places with hills, people still build toboggan slides. So uh, that's my little prairie rationalization. But I do encourage people to try the toboggan run. It is amazing. Yeah, like I've never actually been on on one of those sort of uh, built up Mm -hmm. toboggan slides. I've just, uh, I've only been on hills like I grew up in Transcona. So for me, it was Mm -hmm. Crocus Hill. Mm -hmm. And then I occasionally would visit the hill at Kilcona Park or Harborview, as it's Mm -hmm. commonly known. Uh, And I know other people use Garbage Hill, as they call (laughs) it. Uh, But yeah, I've never gone down one of those, and I've always wanted to try one of those, because it would be nice to just have that kind of straight shot where you're not dealing with, you know, jagged and bumpy roads down the hill. Oh, it's, yeah, no twists, no turns, nice and smooth. Um, I I grew up up in Pinawa, so we would go to our local Yo-Yo Hill, It's a U-shaped sort of toboggan slide. You go up, you go down like a yo-yo. And I loved it, but I do have to say there's something about that just straight shot of speed that lets you live out every cool running fantasy that you've ever had. (laughs) Hey, Barrett, is it BYOT, like bring your own toboggan, or can you get one there? No, actually not. It is uh, GYOT, grab your own toboggan. We uh, We have a big stock of toboggans that are just perfectly suited for the size and shape of our run. Uh, living by the bottom of the stairs by the toboggan slide. We just ask that people put them back when they're finished. No, um, that is something that you can, if you decide that you want a toboggan, you can show up and it's free with admission. You don't need to bring any equipment. In fact, 
I recommend not because then you don't have a toboggan to lug around when you're done. Just put it back on the pile and let the next family have some fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, hey, Barrett, thanks as always for joining us. We appreciate the time and access uh, and, and your enthusiasm for what you do over at Fort White Alive. Well, thank you very, very much, and uh, Happy New Year. You have to get out to that toboggan slide. I do. I re- I've been Googling all the images, Brett. We should challenge Greg to one on his return. Oh, I like that. Do you have any skating there, by the way? On the ice. I'll judge. <laughs> do you have any skating there, by the way? We do. We have a little skating rink right adjacent to the toboggan slide. So if you have some skaters in the family and some sliders, everybody gets happy. Yeah. Barrett Miller, thank you very much, sir. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And again, the website, fortwhite.org. There's an, a huge list of events. Like I said, today it's Frosty Family Fun Days uh, from 1 until 3 tomorrow. They've got a scavenger hunt from 10.30 to 4.30. All kinds of stuff over the next few days to keep your family busy in the milder weather. But now that Christmas is behind us, the next mm-hmm. big party is New Year's Eve. It's coming up on Tuesday, and since it looks like we won't be in deep freeze cold, you might be thinking about heading out this year. So for some ideas on what's going on in the city and how to get around town, we've got in studio with us our friend Jordan Earl, partner at 4 for 1 Main. Jordan, welcome back, sir. How are you? Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. So this is this the busiest time of year for you, or does it, does it just change depending on the season? Yeah, it's right up there. I mean, no doubt. This uh, this season is one of the busiest times of year. You've got a lot of people who aren't working as much, too. So even before New Year's Eve, people are going out a little bit more, I think, enjoying some holiday libations every now and again. But certainly New Year's Eve is a big buildup, and we're super excited at our place at Have 4 for 1. Have we changed what we're looking for on New Year's Eve? Has that changed over the years, or is still there a general idea of getting together, potentially drinks or not, depending on what you're doing, sure. and, and music? Yeah, no, I, I think so. I think uh, New Year's Eve, like a lot of the celebrations in the year, about getting together with friends, having good times, good conversations. I think that uh, certainly some holiday drinks might be involved. One of my favorites is the old rum and eggnog, mm-hmm. for sure. But uh, I don't think it's a necessity, and uh, I think there's a lot of cool things going on in this city this uh, this weekend uh, for New Year's Eve. Well, we want to talk about some of those things, but I mean, you 4 for 1 is a nightclub. Of course. And uh, I'm 42. I, I haven't been to a nightclub in a while. I think the last time I went to a nightclub was your nightclub. I think, I think the, we uh, saw you in there. At the nightlife, after the nightlife awards yeah. last year but uh so when i was in that that age group bracket 18 to 25 i would often go to a nightclub for new year's eve and i'm just wondering and it was it was always a big deal you know the place would be dressed up and mm-hmm. sometimes people would dress up to go so has is that still the same kind of thing like do you put more effort into new year's eve yeah no doubt i think it's really fun for dressing up i think a lot of the patrons that we see and that go out at the other places in the city take it as an opportunity to kind of bring out their finest dress and uh, bring out the ties and dresses and all that kind of stuff. And then I think on venues, certainly uh, we would be included in that, but the other venues as well, there's pressure to make sure that you're delivering uh, a great evening that's really beautiful, something different, um, whether it's different acts that you have in or the way that you sort of present the room. And I, I know for us, that's a big part of it. So we put a lot of effort into presenting a really beautiful environment and making sure that we have a, a really safe environment and a really fun environment for everyone who's coming out. Something different is key because expectations are always higher mm-hmm. for New Year's Eve. And you can probably even feel that when people are coming in. It's They're looking for something special or different or at least a way to wake up the next day and be like, I've started off my year on a really great note. Yeah, I think for us at our venue at 4 for 1, we try and make sure that we, like I said, just have the room looking really, really beautiful, all decked out to the nines, have great music playing, great DJs in there, and again, just really provide a really positive and safe environment. For us, that's definitely without question number one. 
So what you, you said you, you got a list of stuff going on throughout the like city of Winnipeg. He's got a novel of stuff going on <laughs> next to him, it looks like. But yes. I'm nothing if not prepared. <laughs> well, what, what do you got for us? What's going on New Year's Eve? Uh, I think uh, one of the, or excuse me, one of the big things that's going on, if you're not going to do the whole nightclub thing, um, is going to be sort of the gala events. And so that's what I was sort of looking into a lot. And I did that years ago, and that was a lot of fun for the past few years. Certainly, I've spent my New Year's Eve at, at our place at 441. What's but, a gala uh, event? Well, I think like like reception, dinner, dance, sort of a, a whole evening affair where they're going to serve you a really nice meal. You get to dress up. Uh, a lot of the venues that I was looking at were sort of pushing buying a whole table, so getting a good group of people to come out together, and whether it's eight or ten seats, and then uh, they put on a really nice event. So with reception, four-course meals, after-party, dinner, dance, that kind of thing. So Was that where you, because you mentioned you hadn't been to a nightclub because you're 42, and we just had this conversation with my girlfriend. Sorry, can and, I jump in, Brett? Yes. 42 is not too that's, old to go to a nightclub. Come ask. on, man. Thank you. So I was, was going to ask, I think there is that perception. I was trying to figure out, is there a gala event? That, does that maybe become more of an age-appropriate, and putting that in air quotes thing, because you don't want to be the person that's out being the 40-year-old with a bunch of 20-year-olds. I get that. But I don't necessarily think that's a thing. Well, I think it's about venue selection too. Right, if you find the right place. For sure. Um, So I think that the gala events do tend to sort of push a little bit towards an older demographic, Mm -hmm. and I think that's also partially because of the type of event, but also the cost of those events. I mean, dinner, dance, reception, that's a little bit more expensive than something like us or a lot of the other clubs and pubs and and nightclubs in the city. Um, I'm 42, uh, by the way. I feel like I have to say that because I'm very (laughs) much like, so you're 42, Brett. How are we doing? No, I'm also 42. So I feel that that thing about... making sure I'm not feeling too old or too young or whatever it might be, right? Yeah, well, I know uh, one of our favorite places and where the uh, Winnipeg Nightlife and Lifestyle Awards have been hosted for the past few years, the uh, the Met is throwing a really cool event. Looking at it's called uh, the Gatsby Gala, and so that's going to be reception, mm-hmm. dinner, after-party dance. We know that they always do a beautiful job at that venue and in, in, uh, in organizing and uh, throwing their parties there, so that's a really cool event. Is that the Gatsby Gala? Is this going to be like a gala. costume sort of theme? I, I, think, they're, I think that's the idea. Is you, it's a chance to kind of dress up and That's sort of, where sequins are fully allowed in all are, their glory. Not only allowed, I'm pretty sure it's required. I think so. Yeah. And like hats and like <laughs> what fascinators or something like that. <laughs> I don't fascinators. know. Fascinators. Yes. Exactly. Okay, so there's that. What else there's do you that, got? Um, I mean, if you uh, just uh, hop, skip, and a jump away at the RBC Convention Center, they have a very similar gala going on. So same thing. Dinner, reception, dance, and then a very similar thing actually going on at the Fort Gary Hotel. And uh, I know that at the Fort Gary, they do some cool uh, sort of party and stay packages. So the nice thing there is something that I know we're going to talk about in a little bit here this morning is transportation and getting around and how to get to and from at the end of the night. And nice thing is at the Fort Gary, if you were looking at that, you don't really have to worry about that. Yeah, and just for the record, the fact that I'm 42, <laughs> I don't have a problem going to nightclubs. No, the I problem don't. would be finding people to go because anytime I, w- I would suggest like, hey, you want to go to a nightclub? And my buddies are right. always like, come on, right. we're too old to go to the club. People are going to think we're creepy. Although, actually, that night I was outside uh, having, a, I think, a, a vape and there was a, a young lady who looked like she couldn't have been more than 25 and she started hitting on me. So I felt pretty cool about I that. I recall well, I mean, you are a, you are a good looking man, Brett. Yeah. You're a good looking man. It's when you feel good about I think it's more about be, be, being comfortable yourself and who cares what other people are thinking because I don't remember being, well, maybe I did. I'm trying to remember if I remember being 20 looking at the 40-year-old at the bar being like, what is that guy doing here? <laughs> Probably. Probably. Do we want to take a pause and then come yeah. back and we can talk about some other things going on, Jordan? And, Amazing. And ways to get around the city too safely. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, that's the one thing about New Year's Eve. How long are you going to wait for a taxi? Well, Jordan's got some alternative suggestions. We promised recorders 
And we have some in studio with us. Yeah, I to say I'm excited about this is pretty much an understatement. And I'm excited because last week they were supposed to come in on Friday. You weren't here that day and I had to move it to this week. And then I was like, perfect, because Brett is going to love this. So these folks are members of the Winnipeg Early Music Society. We'll get into what that is in a moment, but we want to give you a chance to hear what they have to play. So without further ado, here's the Admindra Consort. did on the recorder in grade four, Brett. That is so good. It was so good. That was, I didn't know recorders could make those different kinds of noises. So before I introduce who's going to speak on behalf of the Minder Consort, I just wanted to name everybody in your ensemble. We had Margaret McKenty on soprano recorder, obviously the higher notes. So that was easy to spot out there. Kevin Scott and Mark McLaren are on the alto recorder. And then of course we have Graham Spafford on a bass recorder. I didn't even know Kevin, you had told me in an email you were playing the alto recorder that you were coming in with various recorders, and I had no idea that was a thing because all I know, of course, is what we're introduced to first in school is the, you know, a couple note recorders. That's the case with most people, I think. You know, I mean, it's um, the reason they teach recorder in school is because it's the easiest instrument to learn. Also, it costs about $4 to buy one, you yeah. know, so you can teach your kid an instrument. <clears throat> but in fact, I think that, you know, people, people associate the recorder with those horrible noises because that's what people do. When they get an instrument in their hands for the first time, they make horrible noise on it. And it's not just the, 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 the recorder. You would say the same thing about the piano. What does a kid do when he gets near a piano for the first time? He smacks the keys, right? Yeah, the kids bringing home the recorder <laughs> is the worst day in any parent's household. Oh, absolutely. Just is, because yeah. they just they don't know what they're doing, and it yeah. sounds terrible. And it's part of why, and I'm not, I'm not making fun here, but it was partly no, no. why I was like, does this become a thing that people actually do at an adult stage, which obviously it is. You're, we have four adults here in playing the recorder, but did you actually extend yourself from you know young age on up or dabble back no, into it No, not at all. Later? I mean, it's not my first instrument or even my second. I got into it fairly fairly late. I did it in grade six like everyone else, but they don't tell you in grade six that it's a real instrument and there's, there's history behind it and everything else. You know, you learn that much later. And it was when I heard the recorder in combination, like you just heard, that I really, my ears perked up and I was like, oh, 
I think I want to do that. Right, so. because it sounds better. Margaret, you're nodding in your head if you want to step in for a second. Are you the oh, yeah. same? Did you take the recorder in grade six and then move away? Or? Yeah, well, a bit. I was, uh, I mean, I took piano lessons for years and years. I was, I thought of myself as a pianist. And then, you know, I was exposed to recorder in grade five, I think. But um, I didn't really get interested in it until, um, I don't know, high school or a little bit later in early university years. And that's when I really got excited, and again, because I heard something that was being played on recorders and other instruments, and it was it just perked my ears up. Isn't the one she's holding look like the one that you would have learned on, Brett? Like, it looks pretty similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it looks like it, it would be a lot more expensive than the ones <laughs> that That is, in, in fact, school. what kids have in school. They play the, yeah, the soprano. soprano. But this is a wood one, which makes a difference. The different materials that are made from and the, the quality of work that goes into it. There's an inexpensive interest in, instrument to get started in, but, um, I mean, you know, professional-grade recorders can cost as much as anything else. There's still, you know... There's well, what would that one cost? This one, I think, was a couple of hundred dollars. A couple hundred bucks? Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's what, what, would, what is, what is a, a typical recorder that a kid plays? Well, the note that came home with my son, I think it was, you could buy it for nine or rent it for seven. <laughs> so I was like, I think we'll do the buy. I don't know if we want to be renting this thing. But. It's the bass recorder that is really kind of expensive, I think, the one that Graham has there. And I don't even want to ask what he paid for it. It's, it's rude to ask people what they pay for things anyway. But. <laughs> I don't, I, you know what? I don't care. Graham, step in. Graham, step <laughs> in and tell us how much. So this bass recorder is probably, I want to say, three and a half feet or three feet long it looks kind of like it's very similar to a clarinet or maybe an alto sax i'm trying to figure out what it looks like bass bassoon i don't know my instruments it doesn't look like a recorder so graham a little closer to the mic if you can graham stafford is the bass recorder what what does this cost I actually don't know because I inherited it. Oh, you inherited it! <laughs> but when oh. I looked to buy one, it was six hundred dollars secondhand. But but they go up from there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you, where did you inherit it from? <laughs> where did you inherit did it from? My father. So How? the recorder runs in the family. That's right. How long has he had it? Um, I actually have no idea. It's probably older than me. Wow. It's still like I would not have. It looks like it's maybe a couple of years old. I see uh, uh, like the, okay, the the odd nick here and there. But that is uh, do you have to maintain, I guess, like in terms of like keeping its appearance nice? Do you do you polish wax it. polish it? That's what I was looking for. Yeah. Well, you have to apply uh, grease to the cork and uh, try and keep it from drying out too much or getting too cold. But. Mark, I want you to step up, too, because I've got a question for you. And I kind of the same for all of you is when you tell people you play the recorder or you're in a band or ensemble that's all recorders, what kind of reaction do you typically get? Well, um, as Margaret mentioned, sometimes um, people think that the recorder is just a starting instrument to, and, and, and it's a stepping stone to better things. But um, we demonstrate, and, and I certainly uh, have, ex- have the experience of having a lot of fun playing recorder. Uh, I, I didn't learn it in school. I didn't, uh, I guess it was before my time. And um, I, I got introduced to the Winnipeg Early Music Society, and I found a group of people who like playing this kind of music. Uh, it's fun uh, as an adult. Uh, it's, it, 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 there's an opportunity to join other people and have fun playing the recorder. Um, and it's, it's not limited to early music. I mean, we play Renaissance and Baroque dances, and we can also play English folk dances and... Uh, um, I mean, I was reminded the other day that Cindy Lauper plays the alto recorder as a as an interlude uh, between her, the lyrics of her songs and um, um, Led Zeppelin. I remember in I the seventies listening to to Led Zeppelin playing Stair- a Stairway to Heaven, and there there the introduction to that beautiful song is uh, on a, a, from a, a recorder ensemble, and so um, so there's a lot of opportunity to to play recorder as an adult. 
Uh, for the 55-plus group, uh, there's a great uh, organization called the uh, Good Neighbors um, Active Living Center on Henderson Highway, and they have a recorder group, a beginner and an intermediate group, where uh, people can, can, can continue on and uh, make all their practicing worthwhile. I'm you mentioned fascinated. You mentioned Stairway to Heaven, and I, I seem to remember that's one of the songs that we learned to play on recorder. What is it about the recorder uh, that... that makes it sort of the, the easy instrument for kids to learn, or there is the starting point for a lot of kids. Um, I'm probably not the best person to answer that one because, I mean, it's my first woodwind instrument. I mean, I'm mostly a keyboard player. I mean, within this group, I play harpsichord mostly, things like that, keyboard sounds. But I, what do you think, Margaret? Is it just... Um, well, I just think, uh, well, again, it's the accessibility, um, the fact that there are that recorders come in different sizes, and the, mm-hmm. the instrument that most kids start off in a soprano doesn't require, you know, very large uh, finger stretch or anything like that. You can see the difference between the soprano and the bass. The bass has much more yeah. sort of finger stretch. So kids can be introduced to that. It doesn't have a lot of hardware on it, like keys and stuff. Mm-hmm. So the fingering system is, is fairly intuitive to begin with. Um, it is... Strictly speaking, not a difficult instrument to play in tune compared to some things like a violin, for example. So you can get a note out of it, you know, right from the get-go. It's like playing a whistle or any kind of thing like that. But um, So is that what it is then? It's it's a way to, to get kids sort of yeah. familiar with, with how to make different notes, but in a relatively, relatively kind of easy way. Accessible, very accessible. It's like, And it's much cheaper, of course, than getting everybody on a piano, for example. So that's that's another reason why I think it's made made its you know, big inroads in the classroom music kind of programs, but um, it does help to have people who really care about it as an instrument teaching it. If you have a teacher who isn't really enthusiastic about recorder, you're not going to get very far with it. I didn't know there was such enthusiasm about the <laughs> recorder. So now we're learning you're the you're part of an early music society, which means what? Your your music is from what period? What what century? Um, it's medieval um, Renaissance and Baroque periods. So. so it sounds like stuff you'd see in a lot of those period pieces, films, Absolutely, or the yeah. dances that make you think of the queen dancing or, you know, a court gesture, Very that much, kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's a simple music to play, and it's but it's a very easy music to like. It's very instantly appealing, you know. Doesn't send people running like like it would in grade six when you bring it home from school. <laughs> you know, once you play it properly, then yeah. Well, you've got another piece you're going to play for us, right? We do. I just want to mention one last thing. Michael Kobus is an excellent uh, recorder teacher in town. There's not too many recorder teachers, but if you want that name, Michael Kobus, C-O-B-U-S, and he's top-notch. What's the... Oh, go ahead, Laura. I was going to say, of all the things I've learned this morning that you can take lessons beyond, right, and that the music that you might be listening to in these high-end performances or films that would come from such a simple instrument is kind of blowing my mind. So I'm going to pull out the recorder when I get home. You're going to pull the recorder out? I'm going to go well beyond Mary Had a Little Lamb, people. I'm going to get serious about this. are we about to hear? Okay. Sorry, Kevin. We had him all back at this the is, uh, stand. And- <laughs> this is John Dowland, who is a lute composer from the Renaissance period, and this is a piece called My Lady Hunsden's Puff. Oh. I don't know what a puff is. P-U-F-F-E. <laughs> it was originally written for lute, but we've uh, we've got a transcription for recorders, which is well, really lovely. It's going to sound amazing, and if you want to watch it, we're actually broadcasting it live on Instagram right now uh, at 680CJOB, so take it away, guys.
Wonderful. Well done. Thank you so much to the Amindra Consort with the Winnipeg Early Music Society, Margaret McKenty on Soprano Recorder, Kevin Scott on Alto Recorder, Mark McLaren on Alto, and Graham Spafford on Bass Recorder. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate this. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.